I think you'll like her. She's uh, she's kind of you know she's good old Robin. She's a little a little different, a little fun. Okay. But uh, but I think uh, I think it'll work out. At least it'll be interesting. I hope. Maybe she'll be maybe she'll be in a boring mood, and I'll be like, "Mom, you're embarrassing me." <laughs> <laughs> is a pastor a podcast about life and set apart ministry each week we sit down to discuss our experiences and challenges in small town parish ministry and in phd work and ask others to join us as we try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can Listeners, this week we have another guest on the podcast. Robin is with us, and she also has the honor of being Ethan's mom. And she is going to talk to us about the ministry that she's doing and to uh, talk a little bit about how her ministry interacts with pastors and, and her thoughts on pastoral ministry here on What the Hell's Pastor. So, Robin, we're so excited to have you. Thank you. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself in as much description as you're comfortable and then we'll get off to the races? Sure. Um, I am married to an amazing man named Mark and I have two kids. Um, one is Ethan and I have a daughter and I um, have a great son-in-law and daughter-in-law and the best part of everything is our granddaughter. Um, and so she's fantastic. Um, I actually, um, really started this journey into the nonprofit, um, think outside of the box Christianity, um, in a cotton field on a mission trip in South Carolina. Um, that's where I think I, well, that's where I know I really became a Christian, um, and met Jesus for the first time, even though I had been doing ministry and youth ministry for years up to then. Um, so it's been a really crazy journey. Um, the latest, change in our life was the relaunching of the nonprofit, which we're going to talk about friends and neighbors. And that actually um, happened at a rock concert. That's where the Holy Spirit moved in a big way. And uh, so here we are. So that's my nutshell. That's good. That That's concise. So I am fascinated by the fact that um, these shifts in your ministry happened, um, were born out of these specific moments that you mentioned that you can like name and write down. Um, do you, are you comfortable telling us the story of both of those moments and kind of seeing how your ministries grow out of each of those? Sure. Um, long time ago, um, I was on a mission trip, um, to South Carolina and was really, knowing that um, I proclaimed the name of Jesus, but wasn't living it out, didn't even know what that meant, get on this mission trip and meet people that poverty was huge, huge. And 
just the, to me, desperation, but to them was hope and faith. And when we arrived, people saying, we've been praying for you, we've been praying over you. And just the hospitality and people giving from what they lived on. So they're pulling food from their homes that that's their food to feed us. And we're in this little church that was like a slave church. We were on this plantation and there, people are worshiping in worship that I've never experienced in my life. And I remember, I just like, I ran out of the church and I'm face down in a cotton field and realized that up until that point, I had never seen a true Christian, in my opinion, wow. um, and, and really have seen, saw the face of Jesus and the hands and feet of Jesus. And really at that time, uh, I, we, we got home from that trip and I said to my husband, we need to change how we live. I think we should start a nonprofit. I think we should sell our house. And we had just designed and built this really big house. And, and I was just like, we, everything has to change. And, uh, it was interesting because he, he got it. He was on board too. And so we started to, okay, what does it mean to sell your house in a time where you're not going to make money? Cause mm -hmm. the, you know, the market had taken a downturn at that point. And we did. And, and, and a whole, and a lot of things came out of it. We, we found a house. Uh, we drove by one, one day that they were working on and there was a barn and all these outbuildings. And I'm like, that'd be a cool building. And, and <laughs> lo and behold, we end up living there. And, wow. and so that was a big transition that there was like another transition that happened before the 2019 rock concert, Holy spirit moment. I was praying one day we were living in Northumberland at the time and I am praying it's maybe June, May, June timeframe. And I get this prompting that if, if you love me, you'll sell your house. And all I could think of is my husband is going to lose his mind when I tell him this. So I journal everything mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I don't say anything to him. And like three days later, he comes home from work and he's like pale and he walks in the house and he goes, I think we're supposed to sell the house. What? And I'm like, good. And I pulled my journal out and I'm like, this is the steps. This is when we're supposed to talk to a realtor. This is the day the sign's supposed to go in the yard. Like I got all of that. And lo and behold, the day the sign went in the yard, we had an offer. The first people that came to look at the house, full price. So we sold the house and there was no, then God was silent. It's so a shame. I like that. Storage. One of my, I, I did. I liked and it was it. crazy. It was crazy. And, and, and then doors opened and things happened and we, we moved to York and, and we knew that there was something we just weren't sure. And in our nonprofit at that time, we were still keeping up with it, but we weren't doing anything with it because we had moved and things had happened. And so we, we moved back to York and we knew a lot of people and organizations because we had done things with them before. And so we started to feel that, do you think we should launch the nonprofit again? You know, is there a need for it? Does it make sense? We had plugged into some local congregations thinking, okay, maybe that's the route. Like, are they doing what, you know, that filling the gaps or what we're perceiving as the gaps. And 
we ended up like we knew something was coming in I was sitting it was February and we were in Maryland and I was at a concert and we're sitting there we're at a you, shine you down can say concert. the name of the band I'll shine down concert ethan loves them they no i don't favorite. Shine, down. shine down shine down's terrible okay like don't don't hate on my guys um so <laughs> shine anyway down. shine down looks like a bunch of evangelical youth ministers all got together and started singing about butt rock anyway you're hurting continue. my heart you're hurting my heart <laughs> even as we ways. talk about on the podcast people can love what they love that's it's right fine. That's, that's right. right don't be a hater that's right. capitalism right don't right. be a hater <laughs> so we're i'm sitting at this concert we're watching all this stuff going on like i'm seeing church take place mm-hmm. and i'm like said to my husband you know what i think i think it's time i think i think we need to like relaunch then i don't know what's involved in and and starting it again and he was like well i don't know what kind you know what's going to be involved i mean it might we might have to redo paperwork you know blah 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 so we get home from the concert in that the sunday so we get home sunday morning and there's an email he gets an email from the like an update about our nonprofit that says if you want to stay active you need to renew this and send this much money like, you know, in the next five days. And so he was like, hmm, I guess we're supposed to do this. <laughs> and and so that kicked, we started the process. We didn't even say anything to anybody. And we had a couple friends who had started to think about maybe they wanted a nonprofit, but they didn't know if they wanted to do all the paperwork. So they were like, well, maybe, you know, they're, you know, maybe we could come under a nonprofit. And then that could be the, you know, we could umbrella under them. And so we were like, well, actually, we're getting ready to do this. And and it happened. So New Year's Eve day of 2019, we signed the papers, um, got everything, you know, started again at the bank from the that perspective. And then COVID hit. And we hit the ground running. So and that's really kind of how it all like came about. I love that. Um, I want to uh, get into the kind of nitty gritty of what what your nonprofit does um, and also just kind of how nonprofits function, because we keep on saying that, like, we are we are sent to these these churches to, like, run the the nonprofit arm of the denomination. Um, but I I from what I'm hearing there, there are these other steps that I'm interested in talking about. But I wanted uh, what I what I hear in both of these experiences is that there is um, a realness to the worship that you were participating in that um, then led to this like movement of the spirit within you and this kind of conviction. What about um, worship in in both of these settings made it more real or more powerful or more experiential than the worship that you had participated in in other settings? All I can say is it definitely was Holy Spirit driven. Um, I'm sure it was where I was at each time I was in a crisis of faith, um, for lack of a better term. So I was, I was really questioning and struggling and, and really, um, I'm one, I, I'm, I'm have apostle prophet gifts. 
So I'm always like, you know, come on church, wake up. What's going on? Like, why don't we look like Jesus? Um, and, and, and I really think I was really at that point in each of those times of just really feeling a, you know, a prompting, not of the spirit, just of the spirit, but just heart sick almost because of the, the church not being the church and, and how did I fit and, 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 you know, what did that look like? And, and so really it was me really kind of being open to that, but then being reminded, you know, it's easy to say the church is in a building, you know, we are the church, but we are. And, and, and so I, for me personally, that's where I was. That's really where I was. Um, and, and it was kind of like, okay, if, if you guys aren't going to do it, then we're going to do it. And, and, and just being, getting the, just the reminder and having the Holy spirit, like really breathe fire and life into that and, and, and getting it started. So it's to you, it's much more your, um, the heart state that you went into these, these moments of worship with than like whether there were drums or whether there was a worship leader or like, is there, is there anything particular about the style of worship or is it really just that like God showed up? I think it's God showed up, but I, for me, it's also, I observe a lot. So when I'm in those kinds of settings, I'm, uh, I'm also, I'm observing and I'm really trying to, I'm really picking up on how the spirit's moving through people. Mm. And in a lot of it, in each of those cases, it's also definitely the people, what the, how the people were like, just whether they proclaim the name of Jesus or not, the Holy spirit was moving through them and God was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just blessed to be part of that and, and really like start seeing, it was kind of like, you know, in Bruce almighty and all the billboards and that to me, that was the billboards. Like God's like, hello, here I am. Um, here's the answer. So yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I don't think that we have gotten into, um, anybody who has been so like, their faith experience has been such a deep part of what they do next. You know, like I, we talk a lot about discerning and we talk a lot about, um, you know, how like the candidacy process is designed to get us to like choose these steps. But so much of what you're saying is, uh, is so like directly God directed and you just, you feel that in you. Um, and we don't talk about that a lot. That's not been a, a theme that we've had in the podcast. So that's, that's why I'm fascinated by it. Um, because it's something that I had, um, I, when I make a lot of decisions, a lot of it is like, I feel good about this is the word that I say that comes out. But what I really mean is that like, I, like there is a very clear direction that I feel is coming from outside of me that like, this is where I'm going and this is what I need to do. And like, that's, that's why I feel settled about it. Um, Now that sometimes results in like me taking in a cat that my partner is not very excited for me to have, uh, but that's okay. It's, it's going to be fine. Um, Ethan, do you have anything you want to jump in with? Because uh, we can transition to talking about um, talking about nonprofit stuff. But was there anything in that conversation that you wanted to pick out or ask questions about? Uh, not yet, but I, I have some things in mind as as uh, we start talking about what Friends and Neighbors does. Go for it. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, so mom, what, is, what does Friends and Neighbors do? What what does it do? What did it used to do? What does right. it do? Now? That's good. Yeah. 
Um, we, we refer to the current friends, as, friends and neighbors as friends and neighbors 2.0. Because years ago in 2008 is when we incorporated. And that really birthed out of a bunch of junior high guys who were meeting at our house. Um, I was in high school uh, in no, 2008. No, started in junior high. Yeah, we started hanging out in junior right. high. And but- so at the house. And that's really what prompted your dad and I to start questioning this stuff. Because you guys were questioning things. And one of the conversations the one day was like, we're reading scripture. And I re- remember that, that some of the guys, there might've been some girls there at that point saying, you know, we're reading about this church and we Jesus didn't have any doing this stuff. And we don't true. look, how come we don't look like that? Why don't we do stuff like that? You know, why aren't we that? And the adults in the room are like, mm, yeah, I, I don't know. Why aren't we like that? <laughs> and so that really kind of like start planted that seed to, especially my husband and I, like, you know, we we really took to heart um, doing youth ministry and, and, and leading people and, and learning from, from youth. Then how are we living? And, And that really birthed this nonprofit idea because it wasn't like we had a clue about it. We did not. We just figured, okay, we see a need. I came back from that mission trip. And on that mission trip, I, I mean, Ethan was in middle school on that mission trip. So that mission trip had a couple sixth graders, some seventh graders, I think an eighth grader, like, and we, it was just these, this group of kids. And so we came back from that, you know, I came back from that trip and we start talking and we're, you know, all this stuff. And we're like, well, what should we do? So we approached a local congregation that we were part of at the time. And um, it wasn't necessarily supported to, to do this kind of thing, you know, like be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we were like, okay, well, what would that mean for us? So we thought, well, should we, we, we started to talk to um, a person that was involved with Mission Central. He was the executive director at Mission Central at the time. And he kind of guided my husband and I on, okay, if you guys want to start a nonprofit, this is, you know, an idea, or there's, there's a group, it's called Love Inc. Love Inc. And, and what they do, they're in different um, cities throughout the United States and a bunch of the different denominations in an area come together. So the idea is you have to have so many different um, denominations that, that it will join together. And then you can do a branch of Love, Love Inc. Well, at the time, we could not get the different denominations to come together. So we said, okay, we're just going to do this. So my husband started researching, how do you start a nonprofit and uh, started the paperwork and submitted it and it was accepted. Wow. And so it was basically us. Um, We joke about it and say it was like the Mark and Robin show. (laughs) We We put pretty much our money into it and we said, we, we set up a hotline and we said, let's see what happens. So we met a couple, Ethan knows the story. We met a couple and they were getting evicted from their apartment and we're like, we can help you. So we had this house, this bigger house at the time. And we we're like, well, we'll store their stuff in our basement. And we plugged them in with a group to live unsheltered in Harrisburg because that was what they didn't want to go into shelter. So first family we help. 
were moving their stuff. And on my vehicle, we have their mattress tied to the top of my car. (laughs) So Ethan and his dad, they're going off to take stuff and I'm driving behind them, pull out onto the road. There's a little car coming this way and the mattress goes flying off the top of my car, lands in the road, almost hits this, this, these poor people. Oh goodness. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, that was our first attempt at being <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> we almost took that. the car out with a mattress in the name of Jesus. <laughs> the, the ethics, the, the pastoral ethics in, in, professor in my head is screaming as I reflect on this story. I was like, you don't put people's stuff in your basement. You don't, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't just kind of do that. Like, like that's bad, but uh, that is we made we it did. up as we went along. I remember that. I remember the hotline too. The hotline was funny because you would come in through an email. So somebody would call the hotline and then we'd get an email and then we, it would be, you know, just somebody, you know, recorded an MP3 for us to listen to that they needed help. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. It was fun. That's what it was. And so we, we did that um, for for a few years when we when we were in that area. Wow. And so we we had crews out working on houses like three days a week. Um, we partnered with a group in clothing bank. We distributed out of um, this old barn in our backyard. So it was it was it was it was a really neat. Um, adventure, but we knew at the time that, you know, it would burn itself out because it really wasn't set up to um, be long-term. And we weren't sure what God had, like what, and it was funny because at the time we're like, someday this is going to be different, but we didn't know like mm-hmm. what that meant because again, we were making it up. I mean, we were rebuilding plumbing and mobile homes. Like, I mean, the stuff that we had no idea what we were doing really. So that's, that's how it really, that's how it started. Um, and now it's, it's just different. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're connected with a lot of different organizations. We, we set it up on purpose this time. And really, honestly, I think COVID really prompted that. Mm. What happened was, you know, COVID hit and, and here we are and, and there's some gaps and needs and, we started, you know, I mean, we were bartering for supplies, like, you know, the stuff that my garage is, I can't even tell you what's out there. There's probably 20,000 masks and you name it's there. So the friends and neighbors 2.0 is, is really, I think what we prayed friends and neighbors initially would be. Mm. It just took a while to, for that to happen. And really and, and it was supposed to be here in York. This is the area it was supposed to be down here more in the city. So, so yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that all sounds great. Um, I, and I, what I really love about this is that um, you had, you knew that there needed to be, it couldn't just be the the Mark and Robin Joe. It had to be like you had to branch out to other people and um, get other organizations involved in that. And and I love that over the course of the story, you have like actively tried to seek out churches that are like maybe already doing the work, and then finding that like no, really, we've got to start doing the work. Um, 
so in terms of getting a, a nonprofit together, um, it, it sounds like uh, so much of this is funding that's coming from y'all, an initiative that's coming from the two of you. How does that work in terms of like getting nonprofit paperwork together? And did you start applying for grants? Like how, how did you expand it from the initial idea? Right. Well, right now we're really blessed. We, we have received a few grants and we have a few that are out right now um, submitted. So we're waiting for those to come in. Uh, so that, that's good. And, and more people hear about us. And so they want to support financially. Mm-hmm. And, um, we, we, we've connected with a, a great Lutheran church down in the city and actually one of the, we just hired a part-time person and that, that came from the evangelical Lutheran church and the lower Susquehanna Synod and, um, some of their COVID disaster relief, but the pastor at the the local church downtown, he, um, he's like, Hey, this is an issue and made a call. And, you know, within a couple of days, we have this part-time person and we're actually going to, we're renting space. We're going to be moving our office, uh, into that church as well. And, and so they, they've been really supportive. We we've had a lot of support from other agencies. They see, we, we really, we're a collaborative group of people. It's who we are. It's who our board, that's who our board is like as a whole. And we, we don't want to recreate things. We don't want to duplicate things. We want to, what's our, what's our, what's our niche? What's the gap? Mm-hmm. Where's God's calling us? And how does that work? It's like, we're a puzzle piece in the puzzle. And, and again, you know, COVID hit. And, and one of the things that happened, you know, I've been working especially since I moved back to York with the, uh, the unsheltered population. Um, and so, you know, we start to hear, Hey, things are going to shut down. We're going code red. And, and my thought, you know, and, and some of us that, you know, work with that population of people were like, okay, they can't lock down. They can't shelter in place. They're not going to have anywhere to go to the bathroom. How are they going to wash their hands? How are they going to know what's going on? And initially people were like, you know, it's going to be maybe two, three weeks max. You know, that was March. Mm-hmm. So we're on some calls with um, like some of the healthcare systems and, and, and some of the other, you know, groups. And we're like, okay, what about this group of people? And one of the things we quickly identified was, I mean, sanitation stations had to happen. Mm-hmm. So we did, there was some people that, you know, funded some of that. And so initially we had, I want to say, five locations of two porta potties at each location. Well, getting funding and contributing money to porta potties is cool. Finding the people that are going to disinfect and clean them. It's not a sexy sell. People just aren't, you know, so our group, that's what we've been doing since March, the middle of March. We now are down to two units. We might get two more. Um, but we have two units that um, we disinfect in stock and sometimes clean, depending on what's gone on, um, every day. But it was a need of the community. And what really, the, the, when people get choked up and cry because they have access to a bathroom, it's mm-hmm. the right thing. Mm-hmm. We then um, connected with Love Beyond Walls. And they were doing a, a love sinks in. They did a sinks, like a sink campaign once COVID hit for portable sinks. 
So we connected with them and we were able to get a portable sink. And then we, we got one for um, Southern York down in Hanover too, for them to have, because it was a need. Um, water, we handed water bottles out all summer. We still are, we still are distributing them to places, but people didn't have access to water mm-hmm. during the day because they couldn't go to the library. A lot of the places closed where people that were unsheltered could go, or even people in the community that maybe they couldn't stay, they don't stay in their house. Maybe there's no air, no heat. The shelters, a lot of the shelters during the day, people don't stay at the shelter. Mm -hmm. So they're out of the shelter during the day. So, so we identified those gaps pretty easily. um, And they were the ones that were not necessarily easy to find people to do. And that really kind of launched us into the coordinated street outreach within the city. A lot of the areas, part of the, the homeless coalitions, street outreach is a component of that. And that was one, an, an element here that was not in place. And so for the past couple of years, we've been talking to other cities that do it because kind of figured that might be an arena we'd enter but was kind of really honestly hoping somebody else would do it because Mm -hmm. it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And finally, especially with COVID, we were like, you know, it really needs to be in place. And so we, you know, started to talk to some people here, the homeless coalition and said, what kind of grant funding's in place for this? What would this look like? Are we ready as a community to be aware of some of the gaps um, that are going to be unveiled? Like, so we're going to, we're going to find out there's a, there's missing links that we don't even know about. And is our healthcare system ready? Is our shelter system ready? Our housing, you know, all of those areas, are they ready for this? And the answer was no, but you know, at least we got, we got it. We we're starting to do it. Right. So mom, I, I want to talk a bit about, um, friends and neighbors and your relationship with local churches, because I know that uh, from my experience uh, with the first round of friends and neighbors, when I was, when I was living with you guys, since, you know, that's where I lived. Um, uh, I remember uh, long years of churches sort of not interested in being on board and churches uh, not interested in doing this kind of ministry, this kind of work. And um, I know that now there are uh, at least there's at least one church and more church involvement. I, I guess I, my, the broad question is, what has been your experience with the local church in relation to this kind of ministry? And, and what do you think um, is the place of the local church in relation to this kind of ministry? I think what, what I've learned, a lot of this is myself, because for me, I look at, it's all the church. That's the apostle prophet part of me. That's not necessarily embraced by all local congregations. Mm. So I've also matured in my approach. <laughs> um, so that that's a big part of, of, of what we do, because to me, it's all church. Like it, it, it is, it, it, it might look different and we might play, play different parts. 
what, what I'm finding right now, I mean, there are congregations that uh, aren't necessarily as open to being part of this. But again, I think COVID, COVID caused a revival within a lot of the, the churches that really look to be the big C church. And we're really blessed right now as a whole, not just friends and neighbors. We partner with a couple other organizations. We're doing Code Blue Cold Weather Shelter. So LifePath, um, they're a shelter. And Children's Aid Society, they run the York Harris program, Coffee Spot, things like that. I'm on their board. And um, they're, they're part of, and the, the Coalition on Homelessness is all part of this team that pulled together for this cold weather at night emergency code blue overflow shelter. We've reached out to and are really blessed to work with a couple really great local congregations. A few of them are actually allowing us to use their space, having volunteers. Other congregations are supplying volunteers or supplying stuff. Like, what can we give you? What can we do to help? We can't really use, utilize our space. And it's been hard because of COVID, you know, you've got all those other concerns that weren't there before. But because people now see the need is greater, not just in the unsheltered population, but as a whole, you know, we, we, we were seeing it with people that, with the evictions mm -hmm. and people that have not had jobs. So, so it's increased. And, and I think that has, there's been really good conversation with a lot of those congregations. And we have the United Methodist churches, we have Lutheran churches, um, we have other congregations that are, and denominations that are all coming to the table to, to help. Hmm. And what I think is, is helping is you, you do see that collaboration. You're seeing church, you're seeing government, you're seeing all these different entities come to the table. What we have, well, I'll just speak for myself. What I have found, there are gonna be people that don't wanna come to your table mm -hmm. and you don't want them at the table. Mm. And you just, for me, you just have to be honest about that. And, 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 mm. and it's okay. Like, and, and just leave it at that, that, it, that it's just okay. My personal struggle is that, because I look at all that I do as, you know, this is me being a disciple of Jesus. This is who I am as a Christian. It's not in competition with the local church. I don't even think of it that way. Because we, the church, are supposed to be doing this. And, and I think that's that struggle and the other part is, is when it comes down to funding struggle, you know, well, a church might say, well, we do missions. You know, why would we give you guys money to do whatever? Or why would we volunteer and help with whatever when we, we have a mission committee? Okay, like, what does that look like? But again, it's not up to me to decide who's right or who's wrong there. It's not that it, it's, 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 it's a dance. It really is. I just, for me, I have to remember that not everybody, even though they proclaim the name of Jesus or they're a church looks at living life 24 seven as being the church. Mm -hmm. 
So I think basically, I think it's a different community and, and maybe it's, it's more of a city, although we do things with people in the county as well, throughout the county. And I think, I do think COVID has hopefully help the church be more the church. I think that's what I'm seeing. I really believe that. And, and then for those that don't feel that way, that's okay. That's okay. Um, we all just like, if you can't have a conversation about it, then you just don't talk about it <laughs> together. That makes sense. Can you, um, do you think you can identify what makes a good partner or a, a not good partner in ministry like this? Like, um, get, because you seem very discerning about uh, who you want to work with and who you don't want to work with. What are the characteristics of groups that you do and don't want to work with? I think the big thing for me is, is just how, if people think that they're coming in to save somebody and that obviously these bad people, quote unquote, need saved, Right. That is a no. But is it is it people just don't know? Because a lot of times we don't know what our biases are. We don't know we're coming in that way. And if that's how we've always done church and have always been a disciple, then, OK, it maybe it's a learning talking thing. But I, I know. I for me, it's it, are we looking at people as people? that's it for me. I mean, is this person a person created by God period? And it, it, because a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people don't feel that way, whether, you know, you know, if they're different than they are, then, you know, that's a, we're not even going to work with them or we're going to save them. Or do they know Jesus? I mean, do I want to help them until they know Jesus? Ooh, yeah. You know, and, and there still is that. I mean, there there's that understanding. Um, so, or belief, I guess. So I think for me that that's that's more of it, like for my myself personally, where I'm at with it, I'm I'm really sensitive for people that are dehumanized and not are unseen by society. I am very sensitive, like that is just something that will send me over the edge when people just mm. treat someone that way. Uh, I, I am, that, that's just, a, that's a hard, it's a hard thing for me to stay calm on. And maybe it's a teachable moment. Like it's a very hard thing. Cause I'm going to look out for that person because I more than likely have developed a relationship with that person or I'm trying to develop one, or even if they don't want me in their space, there's, I, there will be, there just cannot be that, especially from people that are proclaiming the name of Jesus. Like right. that just, that, that, that's a really, that's a big, big no for me. That makes sense. We, in street medicating, we talk about, um, restoring people's autonomy because a lot of the times when you're going out with the unhoused population or yep. with people who are like housing insecure, yep. um, they don't get looked at during the day they get ignored or they get like spit at and like hated upon and so just like to go up to somebody and say hey i see that you have a cut do you want me to help you with this and they have the right to say no it's so empowering to people to just to just treat them like a human it's right. and it's amazing how many um 
people who want to go out and do missions or do ministry don't even think about that. Like, don't even think about the fact that you are helping somebody in whom you should see Jesus. And they're just like, no, this is my, this is a robot upon which I am giving charity. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a big part of it. Ethan, were you leaning in with the question? Um, uh, not so much. I I'm, I'm just still kind of reflecting on some of the things that drive you mom and and the things that drive friends and neighbors like some of the theology and mm -hmm. the stuff that we you know you're assuming you know and one of the things that I always love about when when you you know retell your story and your story of what caused you and and our family to take certain things more seriously is um your experience of meeting Jesus in the least of these and your experience of seeing, you know, kind of God's face in the face of, of uh, uh, people that I think a lot of folks are not used to seeing God's face in. And, you know, as I reflect on my story and my theology as being a part of that, I think that this might be uh, a really kind of simple and theological way of, of talking about why there's always seems to be such a, a stark difference between certain kinds of Christians in this country. You know, the question might just be, where do you think God's faces? You know, where do you think, where do you see, where do you think Jesus dwells? And, and I think that the answer to that question uh, makes all the difference. Right. You know, if if somebody all lives matters, Jesus, you know, if somebody, <laughs> somebody says, oh, Jesus is found in the face of everybody. And so there's no, you know, which no matter how no matter how much truth that might be there, uh, it, that's used as a way to to not have to see the face of Jesus in certain people. Right. In the same way that all lives matter is used so that we don't have to say black lives matter. We can just kind of, we can just kind of say it in, in a way that we don't really say it. But I think that when, and I think your testimony to this mom, like I think that when we say, well, no, I mean, Jesus's face is found in the face of the, of the least of these. It's found in the face of the vulnerable and people who uh, are, are deemed unlovely that's where Jesus dwells, then it, it transforms the way um, we think about doing ministry and we think about doing church. Because if church is about, you know, trying to seek the face of Jesus, which it's not always about, but I think it should be about, um, then church must become that, you know, it must become this, uh, this move towards being in, with uh, and among in a really authentic way people who stand in need, you know, and people who, right. who, who need that. And I think that friends and neighbors um, and you uh, uh, live into that really well. Well, and I think there's, there's that twofold that goes with just what you're saying, because when you enter into that and you seek that you're, you're going into it, hopefully vulnerable and, and humble because you know, because that's how, that's the truth. Then you're going to, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to gain. It, it's not like I'm going to fix something. 
I'm going into it to make, yes, be there and at times provide items and hopefully keep people safe. But I learned something every day, hearing people's stories, but also about myself and, and, and people then care for me and are looking out for me. Like it's, it's this, because, well, how would it go the other way? Because if Jesus is in that other person, then that, that is how it is. And, and I think that's a big part of, of what we do when we are out as, as, as being the hands and feet of Jesus or, or doing whatever that it's, it goes both ways all the time. I mean, at times am I serving and, and I'm providing more of the service, but even then I'm still getting like, I'm, I'm encountering God. So I, I think that helps with the, the empathy, the humility, and also the vulnerability, like on our part when we're doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think Joe and I had a, a really kind of tough conversation a couple of weeks ago about rural ministry. And I know that friends and neighbors is situated in an urban setting, but, but one of the things that, that we kind of um, ended that conversation on was a conversation about what it would really mean to, to say, no, we're really going to be in community with, in this setting. And, and, and not approach the setting with an agenda, whether that would, whether that agenda is, you know, uh, growing the church of that community or um, making that community better, you know, whatever that means. And, and one of the things we talked about was it, it would really involve us or anybody to immersing themselves in the community to the point where they our our fortunes like our lives are identified with the with the struggles of that community and so it would mean that we don't go in with a way out you know right. we, we go in and we say yeah your successes will be my successes your failures will be my failures and that's just how it's going to be and i think what you're describing is very, something very similar mom where where um the difference between um, kind of this charity, this sort of philanthropy and what, what you're describing friends and neighbors is all about and what your vision of the church is all about is um, rather than a strong person coming from a place of strength and helping weak people, you, you throw that entire paradigm out the window and you say, no, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be mutually affected. We're going to be mutually vulnerable in a way, you know, and, and we're going to say, no, I, I, I help you and I'm with you. And I understand that, that my, my being allowed to enter into relationship with you means that you will now be in relationship with me. And, and there's going to be uh, uh, something there in which the, you know, my, some of my boundaries are torn away. Um, in other words, like this community is my community right? and vice versa. And I think that that's, um, I think that's really the only way that, that Christian people or really anybody can do this kind of ministry authentically without it just sort of becoming a, um, another cycle of, colonialism or another cycle of, 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 uh, of, of 
you know, the kind of one-sided liberal moderate, you know, wackiness, liberal whiteness. Um, and I think that's really hard. I think the reason why so many churches struggle with joining stuff like that is because that's almost always been the vision of the church's relationship to the yeah. community they're a part of, mm -hmm. that the church has to occupy. I, I experienced that when I was serving a church, like the church occupies a privileged, special place in a community, one that is one-sided in which the rest of the community serves that church. And then the church, uh, the church's job is to protect the souls of, of the people. And so there, mm -hmm. the church doesn't ex show any kind of material benefit to the community, any kind of material, concrete um, service to the community. Rather, the community is the businesses are supposed to give the church discounts. The 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 people are supposed to show the church respect, regardless of what's going on. You know, the that that's how it's supposed to be. Right. And um, when I think church people can sense when. Uh, the, the script is flipped and you say, no, that's not really how it's supposed to be, you know? And I think they can sense, even if they can't name it, that that would require a real loss of power and a real loss of privilege. And we've, you and I have met pastors who sense that and they go, no, thanks. You know, I would, I would at least pastors, I would prefer to be in charge. Thank you. <laughs> you know, so yeah. just some thoughts. So you can you can choose not to answer this question if uh, if it's poking too far. Um, so there's there's a lot of you um, uh, encountering people where they are, meeting people where they are. Is it weird to then at the end of the day go back to a place that is so different from where they are? Absolutely. You know, like do you, yeah do you do you have that kind of, is there is there a dissonance in your heart from saying well like have a good night on the street and then you go back to your bed absolutely every single day every single day um and and there's a group of us that talk about it a group of us that that serve um in different capacities through nonprofit or whatever organization they're in we it's a struggle it's a struggle and and, and, and this has always been a struggle when we served years and years ago, when when our kids were younger in Harrisburg, and we we'd on the holidays we would serve at um, one of the the soup kitchens and the places, you know, we were really connected with that group. And like I like there'd be Christmas Eve, you'd be going home, and or Christmas like night, and and people would be like, hey, Merry Christmas, or have a great night, or Happy Holiday, and they're like sleeping on the street, and and we're going home. And I remember even then when the kids were younger, being like. I don't even know how to wrap my head around this. And now I, I, every single day, I, especially like when the weather's real extreme, like with the cold or I, I real, I just feel it. Cause I know like I, and I say that to people all the time and I'm always cold. So I I'm in, I'm the person that wears thermals year round. Mm -hmm. So when I'm standing out and we, we have a community and under a couple of the different bridges, there's communities of people. And, you know, we, we go, we're hanging out, we're talking. And I am trying to not shiver. Like my body is shaking and I feel so bad because I'm like, here I am shivering and I'm out maybe four mm -hmm. hours at a time and they're out all the time. Mm -hmm. And like it's raining or I, it is such a struggle for me personally. Um, at times it just, it breaks my heart. Like it just does. 
and 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 then it it's it's how like how I like can deal with that like it it is like it's like two worlds it really is it is just two worlds um and and so like we're always especially us that are working on these overnight these cold weather shelters we've now become meteorologists we are constantly <laughs> checking the weather and then you know you're you know, in the middle of the night, if one of us, somebody's texting and then going, do you see what the temperature is right now? Like, you know, cause you're keeping an eye on it because now you're super aware because we know people personally and actually our new, our new staff person, I said something to him a couple of days you, ago. You can say who it is. We had him on the podcast okay. and he announced. So when Jory the other day was, was out with me, he, um, we were walking and it's, it's really cold. Like it, it's cold at times. And we were only out for a little while, maybe not even two hours at that point. And it wasn't even the day we were raining and we were out. And I said to him, you know, people that work with the unsheltered population or whatever population of people you serve, you should have to live, even if you do a sleep out. But my thing mm -hmm. was we should do a 24 or 48 hour immersion. You're just out because I think it would change how we do things and how we think about things, because it's one thing to say, well, you know, it warms up a lot during the day. Right. Okay. Well, it's cold at night. I did a sleep out two years ago and it was 20, maybe three degrees. And by about three o'clock in the morning, I was crying and I was in full gear and I was wrapped up. Like I had thermals and heat wrap, you name it. I had it. And mm. it was horrible. And all I kept thinking was in the morning at six o'clock, I'm going home. But could you imagine doing the next day? Like never, you know, you were still, nothing changed. And, and I do think if we would tr experience that, we might not be able to change the situation, but it would make us more aware and hopefully it would make us better advocates what laws need to change, what needs to change. Because it, it, I know for me personally, since I'm out more, I'm always more, I'm the one in a phone call that's like, yeah, but what's the temperature? Yeah, but what's the precipitation? You know, because I'm out sometimes doing outreach for four hours in the rain and it's cold. And again, though, I can go home and put on dry clothes. So yeah, it, it's, it's a huge struggle. For me personally, it that that's probably the hardest for me from a personal standpoint. That's the hardest thing for me. Yeah, and I I, I was picking up on that a little bit when um, you were talking about having stored people stuff in your basement, and Ethan was like the like pastoral boundaries says that like we don't we don't do that. Um, but there there's that real desire of look at what I have. I should be sharing this with everybody, right? Like I should be how how on earth can I have this wealth while my neighbor does not have this wealth? And I think that that's um, the way that I've resolved that for myself is well then I will then use this wealth to change policies so that other people meet me where I'm at. So I'm glad that you that you like pivoted to that in your answer as well because I think that's 
that's really the only way you can live with this, right? Is to know that like, I am using every ounce of what I have to make things better. Um, and if I was on the street, I would be taking resources away from people who need them. And if I was on the street, I would be less able to then go and advocate for people on the street. Right. But even then, like, yeah, I, I, I have the same struggle that you have. That's something that's deep in my heart too. Well, and I think, I think that goes both ways. It goes for, you know, my black and brown brothers and sisters that I love deeply. Like I'm a white middle-class woman, you know, heterosexual woman. I, it's funny when I'm out, I get treated differently. When my husband's out, we get treated differently unless we are out some days doing outreach and we, you know, we might know we're going to be out walking for five hours. We don't dress up. Guess what? We don't dress up when we go out and, and, and do that stuff. We, we just wear, you know, regular stuff that we're going to go out jeans and whatever can't tell you the number of times that we're out. And then maybe we'll go to the store or maybe there's a, a, a church group that is handing pamphlets out that people like come up and are like, Oh, let us help you or ignore us or, you know, whatever. And it's, we're even more sensitive to that now. Um, from that, like, yes, we, when we're out with our, our friends that don't look like us um, because of the color of their skin or whatever, we are very sensitive to that. And, 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 you know, what can we do? What can our voice do to change laws and change policy? And how can we stand for you? have a lot of those conversations, but we've now seen it here in this, this realm too, um, of people that are like, we're confused as one of those that people don't want to look at. Mm. I always like that. I'm always like, great. <laughs> we're doing good today. But <laughs> it also then makes me again, more aware of what, what are my biases that I don't even realize. And, and a lot of days I'm getting hit in the face with them just, just being out doing what I'm doing. Cause I'll be like, Oh, where did that come from? Like, do I really think that way? Like, you know, so I think it's, but again, we have to be open to that. Like we have to be willing to live that and feel that and then deal with it in ourselves. Okay. This is who I, I've, I've got this in me. I got to deal with it. And there's, there's something so profound about doing this work and then like having to confront these biases. Um, and I, I think about that all the time when we think about, um, how do we get churches like the entire population of a church body to really think about their biases and to change the way they interact with people and like there is no substitute for going out and doing the work and making relationships with people that constantly challenge you to think and do that work and the substitutes we're trying are like book clubs or like studies and it's just not going to do it but at the same time, I don't want a lot of newbies going out onto the street and messing up the ministry that's there. Right. And so I, what, what we're really missing is this lifelong discipleship that should be leading to us being prepared to and then going and working in these situations and, and giving away what we have so that we can then do this good work for the kingdom. And that's just not there. And there's no way to, to jumpstart that. Like you really have to sit down and do this work. And you, and there's so many mission trips that are like, we're going to go work with people and learn stuff and it's going to be transformative, but it's so short lived. You're not, you're not making any actual long-term changes. I don't know how we fix that, but that's, that's something that's coming up in me as I'm listening to you talk about this is like, wouldn't it be great if churches would actually go do this, but churches are full of Christians who don't want to be the type of Christian that you're being. And, um, 
and I don't, I don't know what we do to change that. I don't, I don't know what the, what the solution is. So we're approaching an hour, mom, and we're, we're going to try to wrap it up. Um, um, do you have anything more that you want to uh, say? You want to plug friends and neighbors and talk about the stuff that you're hoping to do in the future? And, and sure. uh, if there's contempt, like, like currently right now stuff in the works, anything like that? Yeah, one of the things I'll just share with you guys, like our vision, all neighbors live and thrive in healthy communities. And our mission is to create change by boldly applying best practices and innovative solutions to stubborn problems that hurt mark, our community. A, a mark, a mark original. <laughs> so we like the word stubborn. It really like resonated. Um, but our cause is no surprise, children, youth, housing, violence, racial justice and opportunities. So we're really looking right now, the street outreach is a component that we do. We are working, we work, work with the group violence initiative in the city. Um, so that that's also a, a part of what we do. One of the things is we, we're getting grants and we're getting funding for that street outreach part and, and possibly on the, the GVI, the group violence part and what role we play in that. One of the things I just talked with, we just had a conversation last week with one of the foundations. And um, one of the things that we really hope to do is as we are identifying gaps and having collaborations, what are those real things? Whether it be policies, whether it be, we identify, we know housing's an issue. I'm part of the, um, the reentry coalition and some of the other coalitions. And in every meeting, housing's an issue, mental health is an issue, addiction's an issue. So we know we have these core components that are issues. What's our role? Because obviously they're stubborn problems, but it also, guess what? They're to me, they're foundational living issues. If people live in a food desert, if people don't have adequate housing, choices now and that and that means different it's different for everybody um shelter to me is not a long-term option people never self if, if you're in shelter or you're shelter hopping all the time you never are settled like mm -hmm. you don't have a place to land and and so we are talking and looking at what does different housing look like for other people what does the gap look like because we have so many people in that mental health gap that because there's no place for people to go and they aren't deemed bad enough to qualify for services, but they cannot function mm -hmm. on their mm -hmm. own. They need it. They need a support. They need something different than what's in place because they don't fit the criteria for what we currently have as a society or in our community or whatever. So what does that look like? What is that? Is that we come to the table for those conversations? Does that mean we enter the housing realm in in different ways so that that's really where we're at and again we we have the two right now we have two affiliates under us and and at some point they may end up and probably will up as their own end up as their own nonprofit. will we still if people fit our mission and vision have other affiliates that would come under us that we'd umbrella until they get started i think so that that's really working well so they're really, that's really kind of who we are. 
from a foundational standpoint. We are getting ready. We One of the um, other churches in the, the city, they gave us a minibus. So we are going to, um, we're looking at for the Give Local campaign in May, raising money, because we'd like to turn that into more of, we're, we're going to transform it, not into a transformer, um, but it would be cool if we did. So that it could be utilized for us to do mobile outreach, but mm -hmm. one of our affiliates does mobile gaming with, for youth. And we have another affiliate that distributes and, and does a lot to support foster care. So how could we really utilize that to the best of the ability that we can? And we're looking at reaching out to like the tech, VOTEC, the different um, schools that also work with youth or do apprenticeships to have them be the ones that would work on transforming the bus. So I think from a foundational standpoint, we really are looking at being that group that wants to address the stubborn issues. Now, most of us and many of us proclaim the name of Jesus um, that are on our board. But honestly, and to be real, that doesn't matter <laughs> to us. We know who we are and we'd love everybody to know and love Jesus, but hopefully they're going to see that through us. But it's us bringing that bringing who we are as Christians to the table, because that's the only way we're going to be able to address these issues really. Um, but we know we're going to enter more of the, the let's, let's look at political, let's look at laws. Let's look at people's agendas. Let's look at that and, and, and really be in that space. Um, so yeah. Is there, do you take like online donations through your website or things like we that? Do. We do. Okay. We have everything set up through the website uh, and, and all of the, like we, for donations for the friends and neighbors as a whole, for street outreach, for any special, we just did a, we did a sleep out to raise money for the local youth shelter. Mm -hmm. uh, we did that. And then our, the affiliates have their, you know, they can, we're set up through the website that, that people can make donations through them. And we really try to, I mean, I try to keep Facebook updated as much as possible. We have another staff person um, and his wife coming in the summer and um, hopefully they'll tackle some of the technology side of things. <laughs> Fr friend of the pod, Nick, Pastor Nick. And, Pastor and Nick. Angie. It's really funny because really the real start that really got the seeds planted to start Friends and Neighbors came from Ethan Nick and Jory. And I feel like, you know, it's this, it's interesting how everything's kind of playing out. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty awesome. I, I, I said to my husband just last night, I said, you know, when we were praying over those kids, I feel like this is like the outcome of some of that, not just for them, but for us, <laughs> like, and yeah. the community as a whole. I mean, everywhere these guys are. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's the, when people ask whether prayer is effective, like they're always asking about in these life or death situations. But I think that you look at situations like this and like prayer made a difference. Like that's a, that's a real tangible thing that we can see. Mm -hmm. I love it. You love to see it. Mm -hmm. Well, Ethan, I think we're at the end. Do you want to sign us off? Yes. Everybody. Thanks for listening. This has been an episode of what the hell is a pastor. We are Ethan and Joe and Robin, and we will see you next time. Good stuff. I think that went well.
Yeah, I think so too. Edit out anything that sounds stupid. <laughs> I, I already do. <laughs> <laughs>